I'm Kelly Haywood, and you are listening to Mountain Talk Monday on WMMT. Real stories, real news, real people radio. Brought to you straight from the heart of central Appalachia. Thanks for listening. Welcome to WMMT's Mountain Talk. I'm your host, Mimi Pickering. In this edition, we're focusing on comments made at a public hearing in Hazard, Kentucky on July 7th regarding Kentucky's Medicaid program. In 2014, then-Governor Steve Bashir expanded Medicaid to include adults with income below 138% of the federal poverty level. In keeping with his campaign promises, new Kentucky Governor Matt Bevan has proposed significant changes to Kentucky's Medicaid program. Many health and human service providers, as well as advocates for Kentucky's vulnerable people, believe Governor Bevan's plan will put up new barriers to coverage and care for Kentuckians. Bevan's proposal includes premiums and work requirements. It also reduces benefits and creates complex new administrative systems to track and collect payments and activities. The proposal, called an 1115 waiver to the Medicaid program, is subject to public comments in Kentucky before going to the Federal Department of Health and Human Services for their consideration and response. On this show, we hear from some of the individuals who spoke at the final public hearing, which was held in Hazard, Kentucky. So I want to welcome you you here this morning. We have spent, uh, last week we went to Bowling Green, uh, earlier last week, then to Frankfurt, and now we're in Hazard, Kentucky. So I want to also thank each of you for being here, for taking time out of your day uh, to be part of this process, to give us comments, and I'm looking forward to hearing your comments on the proposed waiver. That was Vicki Yates Brown Gleason, Secretary of the Health and Human Services Cabinet. She was joined by Stephen Miller, Department of Medicaid Services Commissioner, and Scott Brinkman, Executive Cabinet Secretary. Together, they presented the Bevan administration proposals and listened to audience comments. Major components of the plan include work requirements for participation, premiums with penalties for failure to pay, elimination of dental and vision benefits, elimination of retroactive coverage, and a lockout for those who miss signing back up attempts to link Medicaid to private employer-based insurance. The Medicaid hearing attracted an overflow crowd at the Hazard Community and Technical College, and about 30 people spoke. Since the hearings lasted three hours, we've decided to focus on the comments from audience members. Adrian Bush from Hazard was one of the first to step up to the microphone. Thank you for the opportunity to comment. I do want to commend you all, especially on the substance use piece. I think that is really important. We have done a lot of work here um, with the potential for an HIV outbreak and hepatitis C epidemic, so thank you. I appreciate that um, you all have worked really hard to make sure that children are covered um, at the same level, but um, I am worried that we may have some unintended consequences with adults losing coverage. As a mother of a seven-year-old, I know that if I can't take care of myself, I don't do a very good job taking care of my daughter. Um, So I guess I would just ask that we continue to have some thoughtful dialogue about that. Um, I would also ask, too, that we think 
about um, particular subpopulations under the able-bodied Medicaid-eligible population, particularly people experiencing homelessness. We do have a number of people experiencing homelessness in rural Kentucky, in eastern Kentucky, and in Perry County. Um, and I know that with the lockout periods and the premiums um, and just the moving around, it's going to be hard for a lot of folks who are unbanked or don't have a stable address to make sure that they are continuing their coverage, no matter how much they may wish to. Thank you, Jason Bailey, Kentucky Center for Economic Policy, and I'm in Berea, Kentucky. This waiver proposal is based on the assumption that poor behavior choices are what has led to a high percentage of Kentuckians covered by Medicaid. But that's an assumption that lacks uh, grounding in the economic reality facing the state. And I, I fear that the resulting proposal won't create greater upward economic mobility, but will worsen many of our challenges and move us backward in our recent healthcare progress. And it's in places like Perry County where those realities are clearest. No county in the state has benefited more from Medicaid expansion than has Perry County. It's number one of all 120 counties in the share of the population gaining coverage, 19.1%. And as a result, many more people are getting the preventive care and screenings needed to manage chronic conditions and improve their lives. And also tremendously benefiting is the economy of Perry County, though it's only the 39th biggest county in terms of population. It's fifth in terms of the amount of money that's flowed into the county to providers because of expansion, $62.8 million as of last October. Um, but that progress is at risk with a proposal that contains measures shown to reduce the number of people covered, including work requirements, premiums, lockout periods, and the elimination of benefits like dental and vision. Components like work requirements and premiums have been tested in prior Medicaid experiments and other social safety net programs. And rather than increasing economic well-being, they're shown to reduce coverage and drive more people into deep poverty. And a reduction in the number of people covered is admitted in this waiver proposal, which projects 18,000 Kentuckians will lose coverage the first year, which will grow to 86,000 by the fifth year. And less coverage and worsened poverty will result because of, I believe, flawed assumptions about Kentuckians and how to move people off Medicaid. Um, the majority of Kentuckians getting coverage don't need an incentive to work because they're already working. Uh, they're just working in low-wage jobs where they can't afford or are not offered health coverage. We looked at this data on the first year of the Medicaid expansion. Those who most commonly are covered worked in restaurants, construction, temp agencies, retail stores, cleaning and janitorial services, and grocery stores. Low wages are an all too common reality in today's economy. 30% of Kentucky workers have wages put them, would, would put them below the federal poverty line for a family of four, and wages have also been stagnant or declining for many. Healthcare premiums have been rising much faster than wages over the last 15 years, forcing many to forego coverage and employers to shed responsibility for it. That's, led, that's what's led to a decline in the share of workers who get health coverage through their jobs. 70% um, did in 1980 in Kentucky, only 56% do today. Those are workers. Because the waiver creates escalating premiums for those who remain Medicaid eligible, it punishes workers for the low wages and wage, wage stagnation that's beyond their control. It assumes that people don't have private health insurance because they don't understand it, rather than they cannot afford it or their employers do not offer it to begin with. For the minor minority who aren't currently employed, a major barrier is the persistent lack of jobs in many parts of the state. Kentucky has still not fully recovered from the Great Recession. In fact, only 28 of our 120 counties 
have more people employed today than before the recession hit. And in 24 counties, mostly in eastern Kentucky, there's been more than a 20% drop in employment over that time. Here in Perry County, it's a 24% decline. And that's not because of a sudden unwillingness to work, but because jobs were eliminated and they have not been replaced. Sectors like mining and places like Perry County and manufacturing and other parts of the state have declined dramatically and jobs have simply not been created to fill the gap. Medicaid is a safety net program that provides a lifeline when such economic challenges emerge. Reducing its reach will only make problems deeper. At the same time, there's a lack of jobs. Other Kentuckians also face significant barriers to employment. Many have a criminal record, often for low-level offenses, and face difficulty finding work and are disqualified from many jobs. Others lack an education or training credential, which are becoming increasingly expensive to get in Kentucky, while others have family care responsibilities, lack access to transportation. Since there is not a more comprehensive solution to these many challenges, creating barriers to health coverage, as this waiver does, will restrict access to care, thereby worsening health conditions and making people even less able to engage in the workforce and the community. Kentucky needs a Medicaid program that continues and builds on the success of the last few years and improving access to health care that will strengthen our workforce, our economy, and our quality of life. And I urge you to abandon the new barriers to coverage contained throughout this proposal and work for solutions that will build on our remarkable recent progress. Thank you. Well said. Several of the speakers praised the Bevan administration for expanding coverage for those suffering from substance abuse disease, or SUD, but they also expressed concern about the way the proposed changes would impact people with behavioral diseases and those who care for them. Good morning. My name is Dr. Sheila Schuster. I'm a licensed psychologist from Louisville. I serve as the executive director of the Advocacy Action Network, which advocates for Kentuckians with disabilities, particularly involving behavioral health and for those without access to health care. There's no doubt that providing Kentuckians with access to health care, physical, behavioral, and dental, is one of the requirements for moving the needle on our significant health problems. It is not the only factor needed to improve health, but it is a necessary factor. Were we to truly make a full-fledged assault on what we've called the Kentucky Uglies, we would need to address not only access, but also the social determinants of health, poverty, lack of education, illiteracy, environmental challenges, and inequities. But healthcare access without barriers is foundational. Medicaid expansion has been good for Kentucky. It has provided healthcare access to nearly 500,000 Kentuckians who were uninsured and without healthcare, many for a long time. It has brought in more than $3 billion in federal funds to pay for health care delivery and to create health care jobs. And Kentuckians have taken advantage of their coverage in record numbers to access preventive cares, screenings, teeth cleanings, mental health services, and follow-up care. Kentucky's overall health ranking among the states has risen by three places. While we still have significant health challenges, Kentucky is healthier because of Medicaid expansion. The Affordable Care Act mandated significant improvements in behavioral health, requiring all coverage plans, Medicaid and private market, 
to include the full range of behavioral health diagnoses and treatment, and to provide these services at parity or equality with physical health care. We are pleased that the proposed waiver keeps these mandated services in place for all who are included in the waiver. Kentucky has significant mental health and substance use disorders, and they need to be treated. While we applaud these benefits and potential increases in behavioral health care, we are extremely concerned that the category of persons deemed to be medically frail, which would include those with serious mental illness, substance use disorders, and other disabilities, are being required to pay a monthly premium for their coverage. It is difficult, I would say impossible to imagine what mechanism will be used to bill for the premium and to collect it. When the majority of these individuals do not have a checking account, often do not open their mail, sometimes for fear that it has anthrax in it, do not always have a stable address, and do not have guardians to rely on for help. And the penalty for failing to pay is steep. Requiring co-pays for each health service and for each prescription is absolutely unaffordable and will result in these medically frail individuals failing to keep appointments or to pick up their medicine. What is the cost then in human suffering, in angst, in the rapid decline in health status, in trips to the ER, and possible hospitalizations? Certainly those costs are far greater than the justification for requiring the monthly premiums. On behalf of these Kentuckians with disabilities, I beg you, I beg you to remove the requirement for the individuals deemed to be medically frail to pay a monthly premium for their Medicaid coverage. As a longtime advocate for treating the whole person, I urge you to restore the dental and vision benefits to all Kentuckians included in this waiver. In a state plagued with toothlessness, cardiovascular disease, and diabetes, to name a few, it makes absolutely no sense to remove these critically important annual exams and the follow-up care that is indicated. It is absolutely a step backward to do otherwise. And finally, I urge you to look carefully at these 500,000 Kentuckians who have enrolled in the Medicaid expansion and to treat them with the respect that they deserve. Yes, they are poor, but they are valuable members of our Commonwealth. The majority of them are working, or are caregivers, or are students. They are already making significant investments in themselves and in their families. They are concerned about their health, and many have already taken actions to improve it. To increase their premium requirement over time fails to recognize that they are already working but do not have access to employer-sponsored health care or cannot afford what is offered. This is simply a penalty imposed for being poor. I'm heartened by the goal outlined by the administration to improve the health outcomes for all Kentuckians. We share that same goal. Everyone in this room and that you've heard from in the other hearings share that same goal. But let's work together to build on our successes to create a more efficient and effective health care system, and to assure that Kentuckians have access to the care they need to improve their health. Thank you very much.
and thank you all so much for hearing these comments today. My name is Michael Gray, and I'm with NAMI Kentucky. That's the Kentucky affiliate of the National Alliance on Mental Illness. We provide education, support, and advocacy for people impacted by mental illness. And when I say impacted by mental illness, I mean the people who are actually suffering from mental illness, as well as their families, their loved ones who are oftentimes trying to get and, and keep their mental health care benefits. Um, and NAMI really applauds the stated goal of this plan to make the Commonwealth an overall healthier place, to encourage people to take more participation and ownership of their health care. Um, and we also really appreciate that SUD pilot uh, that's um, carved out there to, to provide help for people who really need it with SUD. And as you know, many, many, many people who have SUD also are suffering from severe and persistent mental illness. Um, but like a lot of folks here today, we have a couple of issues. One, this issue of premiums uh, being required, even for people who are considered medically frail, and the frankly horrible outcomes if they don't pay and the consequences thereof. And, and two, um, the definition itself of who will be determined uh, medically frail. And so with the premiums, they're not just a financial barrier. They are also, uh, it, it's a practical barrier. There's a real practical issue with the actual payment, the collection of these premiums for people who are in recovery from severe mental illness. These are folks who are hardworking and trying uh, to get back on their feet, to find some sense of normalcy and to get back in the flow of their lives in the community, their families, uh, to work and take part in their co local economy. And many of them do not have checking accounts or any other kind of account that would normally be used to pay a health care premium. And so we're wondering what mechanisms could be put in place to make that possible. Because as folks have said here today, if they don't make those payments, the consequences are not great. These are people who very badly need mental health care services. And for most of them, Medicaid is uh, the best and only way to get it. And in closing, I just want to urge you all to please consult with these folks who are impacted uh, by mental health care services. And we'll be impacted by this plan and talk to me, communicate with me, with Dr. Schuster, with mental health care advocates who can, can talk about policy points, sure, but more importantly can put you in touch with as many as you'd like of the people, the families who are struggling with severe mental illness. Eliminating dental and vision care benefits was a concern of many speakers. David Naramore is a dentist in Whitesburg. Uh, I'm here on behalf of the Kentucky Dental Association and as the voice of organized dentistry in the profession, we would want to uh, make sure that dentistry is included in one of the benefits. So we would like to see that as this policy moves forward that we can work with the administration and help shape the policy to include at least diagnostic, that is screening, early screening and detection. So we encourage you as it moves forward to include dentistry and the expansion population from my own personal experience. It's been really a great thing. A lot of people who have had, haven't had access to care have, uh, have been able to obtain that now. And so that's a wonderful thing to see. Uh, and you know, it's, I know uh, from sustainability, we may not work out numbers wise, but it's very, very important to the people of Kentucky, especially the eastern part of the state, to see that happen. Pam Cornette. I'm from Whitesburg, Kentucky. Um, I'm a public dental 
a hygienist here in Hazard at the UK Northport Valley Community Health Center. I also represent the Kentucky Oral Health Coalition. Um, if, Kentucky, if the Kentucky Health proposal is implemented, um, as, I, as we understand it, many Kentucky adults will completely lose their dental coverage. Um, currently, Medicaid adults have limited preventive and restorative dental coverage, um, cleanings, exams, x-rays, and fillings. Um, it might interest you to know that Kentucky is the second highest in the nation for incidence of oral and throat cancers. So very often, we are the first line for that. Um, most, most throat and oral cancers are diagnosed in a dental office. Kentucky is also the fifth highest in the U.S. for um, older adults who have um, total edentialism. They've lost all their natural teeth. So given our uh, historic issues with poor oral health in Kentucky, we can't afford to move backward. Uh, routine preventive dental visits can lead to early detection of chronic diseases that are often displayed first in the mouth. Um, untreated tooth decay and gum disease are directly linked to chronic conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, stroke, and many others. Um, the mouth is part of the whole body and it just doesn't make sense to separate that from the rest of the body. When adults cannot access needed health care, including dental, they'll be less likely to seek health services for their children, even if Medicaid or KCHIP covers those services. Loss of dental coverage will lead to an increase in ER visits to get immediate relief. If you've ever had a toothache, you know you're going to do whatever you can to get relief but they don't treat the underlying dental issue. Trips to the ER for dental-related conditions are three times more expensive than a dental visit itself. It also causes kind of um, a recurring thing because 10 days after that antibiotic runs out of the human body, you're going to have a recurring infection and you're going to go back to the ER and it's a vicious cycle. We appreciate your time, your energy, and hearing the voices of Appalachia. Thank you so much. Good afternoon. My name is Dr. Lisa Triplett Short. I'm a dentist in Hindman, Kentucky, in Knott County. Um, when we saw the expansion of Medicaid, we were able to see so many people receive dental treatment that formerly could not have. Um, this allowed them to be more confident, more able to go out and seek employment. Um, many more much articulate people have been up here and have told you different things about uh, how losing this benefit will affect people. I apologize, I'm not a good public speaker. However, I do want to say that we are pleased that you came here and we really hope that you will truly allow all these people to receive the care that they do deserve. I agree with so many people, health care should be available for everyone, not based on your status, your employment, your, um, I'm sorry, it's very emotional for me because we do see so many people that came into our office just so pleased that they could come and get their teeth cleaned, that they could be seen, they could be um, have their teeth fixed. 
And in this society where your outward appearance is so important, although it should not be, that means a lot. So I do ask you to please consider keeping the dental benefit. Thank you for your time. Other speakers were concerned about the impact the proposed changes would have on older Kentuckians. I'm Scott Wagness. I'm on the staff at AARP Kentucky. We're here because, in part, AARP is representing 460,000 Kentuckians across the state, many of whom are aged 50 to 64. This is a particular age group that has suffered under the economic downturn through downsizing, and they're often ineligible for Medicare and traditional Medicaid. What they have found in the expansion of Medicaid is access to health care for preventative care. And our concern, in part, is any loss that they may experience having any uh, barriers placed in progress. But as you can imagine, health care coverage is particularly important to individuals that are over 50, not yet eligible for Medicare. These middle-aged individuals hit hard by economic downturn recent years are struggling um, many times with jobs that do not uh, provide health coverage. The required monthly premiums are also problematic and present uh, a, a significant departure from traditional Medicaid. Um, I'm from Beulin, which is here in Perry County. I also work for a physician, a primary care physician, who is in practice by himself and who has, for 40 years, provided plenty of free health care for people who did not have insurance. So the expansion of Medicaid has made the final years of his practice finally become enough that he can afford to pay the things that he needs to pay and still employ people like me. One of the things he cannot provide is an option for health insurance, even though I work for a physician. So my only option as a 63-year-old was to go through the ACA, Kentucky Connect. And to my surprise, I did qualify for a premium subsidy that pays for my insurance. I suffer from a nerve problem not connected to diabetes, but it's often seen in diabetics with my foot. I have to see my physician once every two to three months. I'm on medication. I cannot afford premiums, and I can't afford to start paying for those medications. But should I be denied that, I would have to be off the medication, in which case I would no longer be able to work because I cannot, I can't, I can't do anything with that type of pain that the medication controls. And it's not opioids or anything like that. It's just nerve medication that takes care of that foot. So if these changes go through, which I'm confident and surely hoping that CMS will not approve this, but if those changes go through, I already volunteer many hours of my life and always have for the betterment of my community. I have worked my entire life. I raised two children as a divorced mother. One is a pharmacist. One is an engineer. They would more than gladly take care of their mother, but that is not their job. I find myself 
not as not doing as well as I hoped at 63. I certainly would hope that my state would not decide that I am too lazy, too poor, and too inconsequential to have health care. Thank you. morning. My name is John Rosenberg. I'm the chair of the Big Sandy Aging Council in Prestonsburg, Kentucky. Council was established under the Older Americans Act and among other things serves as an advocate for older persons in the Big Sandy District. There are about 30,000 persons over age 60 in our district and over 5,000 are under the poverty guidelines. Our concerns are similar to the ones that have already been highlighted especially those related to the provisions regarding community engagement and employment, the payment of premiums, and the deletion of dental and vision benefits. In addition to chairing our aging council for over 30 years, I served as director of Apple Red, the legal services program that serves low-income Kentuckians in 37 eastern and south central Kentucky counties. So I have some familiarity with the day-to-day -day problems this population faces. Like many others, I was very pleased to see the Medicaid expansion put into place by Governor Bashir and to see the huge drop in the uninsured population in Kentucky and to see this population often for the first time to get access to health care, which they need and deserve for in this country, Access to health care should be a right for all of us. The current proposal, while setting forth laudable goals, turns the clock back. As you've heard from respected doctors like J.D. Miller, rather than expanding health care, your proposal sets up impediments to care. Dr. Miller spent years serving low-income clients and the working poor in Harlan and neighboring counties and knows whereof he speaks. Others have already addressed the proposed deletion of dental and vision care. What a mistake. So many health issues are the result of the failure to have dental care and conversely so many health related problems are recognized for the first time by the person's dentist. Similarly, we know what a disability the failure to have good vision can be. If you've been to one of the medical fairs staged by remote area medical, RAM in eastern Kentucky or in nearby southern Virginia, you will see people waiting for hours for free medical care. The longest lines are for persons who need glasses and cannot afford them. And we know also that oftentimes diseases like diabetes are diagnosed in the optometrist and an ophthalmologist chair. What is the sense in deleting these important basic benefits? I recognize you have proposed that they can be obtained somehow under the proposed reward system. But that seems, still seems quite vague and a poor substitute for a basic right that ought to be available to all recipients. We know this is an expensive program, but so is the state pension program for which this administration and the legislature provided a major fix. And so is the corrections program, which has been growing and absorbing millions and millions more of our state tax dollars. 
Surely the health and well-being of a major segment of our population is at least as important and that you and this administration and legislature can find a funding solution that is fair and equitable rather than putting it on the backs of our citizens who can least afford them. There is no doubt that the future of Kentucky will depend in large part on whether we can become a healthier state. I hope you will adjust your waiver proposal toward that end. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Tashana Sutton. I'm an optometrist. I practice in London, Kentucky, and I also serve on the Board of Trustees for the Kentucky Optometric Association. It is obviously our hope that after hearing all the public comments and reviewing the written comments that you will see the vital role that routine vision care has in the overall health of the individual. The Kentucky Health Medicaid Plan treats vision services, as you know, as an enhanced benefit rather than the long-standing integral part of overall health care that we know it is. Currently, individuals within the traditional and the expanded Medicaid population are covered for one exam per year. Those individuals under the age of 21 receive a pair of eyeglasses and a replacement pair if those are lost or broken. No one over, over, over the age of 21 gets glasses at all, unlike some other states, but, but that's the way it has traditionally been in Kentucky. All medical eye care is, of course, covered. As you know, as proposed in the waiver, only medical eye care will remain covered for those, for those individuals. Any additional vision services are deemed enhanced, as we've already discussed, and must be utilized by the My Rewards card, which means that these individuals have to accrue and use earned credits before they can get these services. We're concerned that these changes will definitely limit access to our patients and these individuals, and that costs will actually go up. Heather Warheim presented comments from the American Lung Association in Kentucky. The American Lung Association of Kentucky strongly opposes Governor Bevin's plan to significantly change the Medicaid expansion program in Kentucky. The new plan would limit access to care for hundreds of thousands of people who currently have some for the very first time. The waiver plan will mean more people die from tobacco-caused death and disease, including lung cancer and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Um, there's simply no reason that we see to eliminate the health care for hundreds of thousands of Kentuckians. The current expansion program has been extremely successful, enrolling over 300,000 people in the first year and helping to lower Kentucky's uninsured rate from 20.4% to 11.9% in the first half of 2014. Kentucky has been recognized nationally as a leader in expanding access to health care for Americans who need it the most. The people whose health care would be taken away from them are our most vulnerable friends and neighbors. At most, an individual who now have health care because of Medicaid expansion make at most $15,000 a year or $12.50 a month. The governor's proposal would charge our fellow Kentuckians as much as $37.50 a month. That might not sound like a lot to the governor, but for a person who makes $1,250 a month and are likely to have other challenges, it's simply cruel. It's unacceptable to ask our state's working poor who are trying to bring themselves out of poverty to pay such premiums. The American Lung Association is also very troubled by the volunteer and work requirements the governor proposes. The proposal fails to take into account challenges faced by those with small children, transportation difficulties, or the disabled. These requirements act as unnecessary hurdles for our Commonwealth's most vulnerable instead of providing access to health care so they can become healthier and more productive members of our state. 
The proposal includes a high deductible funded account, which encourages enrollees to choose treatment based on price, not effectiveness. High deductible funded accounts are simply not practical for people who earn so little money each year, especially when they are being charged premiums. Simply stated, a high deductible plan is another barrier to care. The American Lung Association is also very concerned about how the proposal would reduce and limit access to preventative services. Impoverished Kentuckians need help preventing disease and the Affordable Care Act requires the Medicaid expansion population have access with no cost sharing to all preventative services given an A or B from the United States Preventative Services Task Force. Despite tobacco cessation receiving an A grade, the Lung Association was alarmed to see the waiver proposal only lists phone and online tobacco cessation coaching as being covered, far short of access to all seven FDA-approved quit smoking medications and three forms of counseling required by the law. Additionally, the waiver states the new plan benefits will be based on the state employee health plan, which also does not currently have adequate coverage for tobacco cessation treatment. The proposal clearly acknowledges that tobacco use in Kentucky is high and is a driver of poor health outcomes for the state. In fact, the state has the highest rates of lung cancer in the country. So why does the governor's proposal limit access to proven quit smoking methods for people who smoke at the highest rates in the nation? We should be talking today about a way to make sure every smoker in Kentucky has access to a comprehensive quit smoking benefit, not about taking it away. The American Lung Association in Kentucky strongly urges that this proposal be rejected. It will limit access to care for people living with asthma, individuals in need of helping quitting smoking, and limit access to preventative screenings, including those individuals at high risk for lung cancer. The current expansion plan, while not perfect, has been very successful, and we urge the administration to improve upon the current program. Mary Mead McKenzie and Stephanie Moore lead organizations providing health care. Mead McKenzie is CEO and Executive Director of Kentucky River Community Care. They say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I'm going to start with that um, because while I do commend the governor's stated goals, I think he's missed the mark on a couple of points and I'll be brief. Uh, I hear and adopt, incorporate by reference every statement made by every other person in this room today. Uh, but want to say as to premiums, we've well, heard a lot about uh, why the premiums are such a problem under this plan. And unless you are poor or have ever been poor, the numbers of a dollar to eight dollars do not seem significant. They're nominal, but nominal to who and in what frame of reference? You know, a lot of things that originate in Frankfort, Kentucky, uh, as good ideas, impact us very differently here in eastern Kentucky with unintended consequences. A uh, dollar to somebody, it seems like you can just pull that out of your pocket, but when you're talking about people who are paid the least, uh, and supporting large families, sometimes multiple families, generations of families in their home, that dollar has to be dug out in cushions at the house. And that dollar sometimes has to be used for a gallon of gas to get to work versus a premium. So those choices are very hard choices, but they're very real choices for the people here in Eastern Kentucky. So when you're hearing people talk about those premiums, you're thinking that might be nominal. It's not nominal to people in Eastern Kentucky. Um, the other thing I'll say as to the dental and vision, I'm not going to belabor that point. It's been covered and discussed very well by those who came before me. Uh, the issue I take with that is um, in terms of how it's presented as earning vision and dental benefits. Um, that is, for lack of a better word, cruel to me to even be discussed in those terms. We're talking about people who are never going to vacation on yachts in Greece. 
We're talking about people who take vacations to King's Island, if that. So to say that you must earn what is a basic right for other human beings that most of us take for granted, I think is very cruel. Um, and I think that the governor really needs to reconsider the exclusion of those benefits for persons. Uh, they say that a good leader is someone who knows a lot. A great leader is someone who knows what he doesn't know. An exceptional leader can admit that. So I would urge the governor to reconsider many of the provisions of this proposal. Thank you. Good morning, my name is Stephanie Moore. I'm from Berea, Kentucky. I serve as the Chief Executive Officer of White House Clinics. We're an FQHC that serves 31,000 patients, approximately 16,000 of, of which are Medicaid beneficiaries in Jackson, Madison, Garrett, Rockcastle, and surrounding counties. I appear before you today on behalf of not only these beneficiaries, but the 230 healthcare professionals who work to deliver their care each day. While we support the goals of the 1115 waiver, I'd like to share some of our concerns about some specific elements and how, in our experience, we expect those to impact the actual point of care delivery. For 45 years, our organization has been working to improve access. While we support efforts to engage patients in appropriate consumption of healthcare services, we feel this plan thrusts beneficiaries too rapidly into a world that's unfamiliar and will subsequently create barriers to access. For the first time in several years, many of these beneficiaries are seeking service, but they are still very apprehensive about the cost of these services and exactly how to access them. It routinely takes our providers multiple visits to convince patients to get these services. If patients are apprehensive about premiums and lockout periods or co-payments, they'll simply choose to go without. Additionally, and, and very seriously from a primary care provider perspective, this model creates a very, a real crisis in regards to specialty care. Regularly, the wait for our patients for specialty services is, is three to six months. And that's after we've spent five days trying to figure out which provider will actually accept their MCO. If the patient fails to pay his or her premium during that waiting period and then shows up at that appointment with no coverage, they'll be turned away and subsequently bounce back to the PCP who identified the reason for specialty expertise in the first place. Quite frankly, if I was a patient in that situation, I probably would retreat and be inclined to stop seeking care as well. This is particularly worrisome for our medically frail patients. You know, as Dr. Schuster said, mentally ill patients for whom life presents different challenges. And we're very, very concerned about the access to specialty care for these, these patients. And, and quite frankly, in a, in a primary care environment that we're facing right now, a primary care provider can't take care of all of the patient's mental health needs alone. We suggest a step approach, utilize the health rewards account to motivate the desired engagement for a period of time. Once beneficiaries better understand the goals, then transition to other elements. You know, Secretary Glisson, you mentioned that obesity is one of the challenges that we're trying to address. Um, you know, when we start to talk about the voluntary engagement, why not engage people in exercising? Let's give you a reward for exercise because we know that that's the action that's going to address obesity in our state. We would also like to encourage the engagement of the connector community in teaching this information to, ben to beneficiaries. They're much more likely to listen to a familiar face in a familiar setting than going to a health literacy or financial literacy class at another setting. Um, the plan also references a number of written communications to patients. We have found in our experience that these are ineffective communication tools. Um, people don't open their mail. People don't understand what we give them in a written form. So we encourage um, you know, a campaign similar to what happened with the connectors and, and new so social media or other media responses um, to teach this information to patients. 
Finally, one of our most significant concerns is the elimination of oral health services from the standard benefit design. And while some have called it dental, what we're talking about is oral health. Um, you know, the, the connection between chronic disease management and oral health has been well documented. You know, we've discussed that we have one of the highest rates of indentialism in the state. Um, at one time in our local ED, oral health conditions were the highest, the highest number of visits. You know, unfortunately, you know, elimination of this benefit will drive people back to the ED for oral health abscesses or other oral health emergencies, yet the condition for which they seek care can't even be treated in the emergency department. We feel that these services are critical to achieving the goals of the plan in both in terms of improving outcomes but also lowering costs because sending somebody for an unnecessary ED visit when they can't actually get their, their oral health condition treated um, will only result in unnecessary cost. You know, from the provider perspective, we applaud efforts to increase the efficiencies in MCOs. You not only would single formularies or single um, credentialing process save costs, it will also improve outcomes because patients will have reduced delays for getting prescriptions and other care. Um, you know, we have numerous concerns from the provider perspective, you know, such as the practicalities of how we're going to collect the deductible even if the deductible is funded. However, these, these concerns pale in comparison to our concerns, to our patient, and to the limitations of access. We appreciate the opportunity to share that today. The hearing ended with speakers who were concerned about the impact of the proposed changes on low-wage workers and on their own health. I'm Pat Riestenberg from Hazard, Kentucky. I work at a church here, and every day I see lots of people at my door. I just want to say, speak on their behalf. Many of the people that come to me are living from check to check. They don't have a lot of extra room. The premiums concern me because if one thing goes wrong, someone in the family dies, um, the winter electric bills are double what they usually are. They're in extreme straits. We base a lot here on the federal poverty level, but I want to say that I could not live as a single woman and find a decent place and hazard to live, um, pay for my electric bills, buy food on what we say is the poverty level. So. Here, we've always talked, we ran a free clinic from our church for a while. We talk about the working poor, people who are working in fast food, people who are working at Walmart, because the job opportunities here are just really lacking. And so that concerns me in, the, in respect then about the penalties too, because if I'm faced with the point of having heat in my apartment or paying my premium, chances are I'm going to pay my electric bill. And so then we end up with the penalties. And um, then they're left without health care when they need it. Another thing I know is that half the time when people come to ask for help, they have to find someone else to drive them. Transportation here is terrible. We have no public transportation. So I ask you to look especially for the working poor and recall that people are living check to check and that there are emergencies and things that come up. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Steve Oshevsky and I live in Lexington uh, where I work as an intern with the uh, chaplain of, of a very large mental health organization there. 
I've worked my way up uh, from the low level of staff accountant when I first graduated college up to the manager of a regional CPA firm before I went back to school and earned, a, earned two different doctorates, uh, eventually becoming a full professor of taxation. I am a licensed attorney here in Kentucky. I have carefully read every detail related to the proposed 1115 waiver. I have also reviewed uh, how similar efforts have played out in other states, specifically our neighboring Indiana, uh, where, which is where I attended seminary for two years recently. Um, and, and so I saw the effects of that firsthand there. I am absolutely convinced. I wanna, I wanna impress upon you my personal, educated, considered, professional opinion. I am absolutely convinced it will not work as planned. I am especially concerned that individuals with serious mental health illness will be left uncovered by Medicaid. I'm, I'm especially concerned about that because I have a serious mental illness. I currently earn below or close to the federal poverty level and I am a Medicaid recipient. My chaplaincy work that I do with many, many of my peers suffering from mental illness is voluntary and it's a service to others and to society. I work with people to help them get back in school, to help them get back to work, to help them to be more effective in managing their homes and their families and so forth. And I cannot do that without a pill that I get for free because I'm on Medicaid. And if I don't take that pill at a, between eight and nine o'clock at night, I won't be getting out of bed in the morning and I won't be going to work. And it's as simple as that. And, and I wanna make it clear that it's not by spite or bad attitude, I love my country, I love my state, I simply won't be able to pay it. I will be quickly on the rolls of the non-compliant and be locked out of the system under the plan you have proposed. Between my keen attention to detail as a CPA and, between, and, and, my, and, and my informed understanding of this proposal, which I have really taken seriously and, and gone to the effort to study, I, I couple that with my close association with my peers working all day, every day, with people who honestly are trying to get out of the house and trying to get back active. Just, I mean, that's kind of their goal almost, is just to be part of the, the world we take for granted, quite frankly. I, I, I just see, I, I see that, that, and by the way, I wouldn't consider myself or any of these other people medically frail. There might be another level that's in the hospital or something, but I'm talking about people who get on the bus and find their way to this center where, they, where we can work with them and so forth. But, uh, fill out, try and fill out resumes and that sort of stuff. I can absolutely assure you this, this proposal will not work as planned, and here's why. If you charge me 2% of my ten dollars or $20,000 annual income, or if you charge me $15 a month, you're talking $200 or $400 a year. And that starts to look, look to me like a month's rent. And I'm already feeling strapped about paying my rent. And I will choose rationally not to pay the premium. And if you, on the other hand, are, I think an average salary is something like $50,000. I think that's a rough average. And if you're earning that kind of money and you have to pay 2% of a premium as a premium, that adds up to about $1,000 a year. 
Now, $1,000 a year might look like your homeowner's insurance policy. And so that becomes just another bill. You won't like it, but you'll pay it. But do you realize, and I hope you will realize, that someone with a lower income is not even able to pay a lower premium amount? It, 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 it's not going to appear to you, obviously, from your perspective, is why I'm spelling it out. I want you to notice that those of us with lesser incomes cannot afford even these minimal premiums. And it will be the first choice in family budgets to ignore. But while other, before other bills go unpaid, this is the one that's going to go unpaid. And then there's penalties for that. Now, I see myself among, I, I, I don't know a number. There's going to be plenty of people who are going to be non-compliant and quickly locked out. I then ask the Commonwealth, how will you redeem all these lost souls that need emergency and end-of-life care because they have been somehow locked out of getting what they need in the way of treatment only because they're too sick or too poor to participate in the system? Thank you. Um, my name is Elizabeth Hensley. I'm from Clay County, Kentucky. Um, I don't have any fancy titles. I'm just a disabled Kentuckian with a Facebook page. <laughs> uh, this waiver isn't likely to pass, and Bevan knows it. Health and Human Services has stated repeatedly that they won't approve premium payments or work requirements, not that the governor cares. In addition to his statements referring to people on Medicaid as low-lifes and naughty children, he has spent much of his time speaking about the waiver, trying to emphasize that its future failure lay squarely at the feet of CMS, HHS, and the Obama administration. This entire waiver is predicated on the false notions that one, the Medicaid expansion population doesn't work, and number two, that they don't understand how commercial uh, insurance works. Our illustrious governor also seems to be laboring under the illusion that the expansion population is made up solely of toddlers, since he very condescendingly referred to this plan as commercial insurance on training wheels. The Bevan administration is obviously out of touch with the realities of being poor and living in or below poverty level. Poor people don't need more red tape and hoops to jump through. That's all this waiver is. It's a bureaucratic nightmare that seeks to save money by forcing as many off and blocking as many people out as possible. It's funny that Kentucky can afford 18 million worth of new paint for tourist destinations, million in incentives to a boat that'll never float, money on frivolous anti-abortion lawsuits and endless tax breaks for businesses and the rich, but God forbid we give poor people health care. Poor people pay taxes too. We pay at the gas pump, the grocery store, and on payroll taxes at jobs that can't even bother to pay us a living wage. We are already taxed to death. This waiver will just make that literal. We already know the governor doesn't care about us. He says as much every chance he gets. When talking about the premium requirements, he pulled out the tired old trope that if poor people can afford tattoos and cell phones, they can afford a dollar for health care. I have news for him. Tattoos last a lifetime. You can even get them before you're poor. And you can get free monthly cell phone service when you're on Medicaid to help find a job, stay in touch with family, and contact police and other emergency services. While this waiver will bring more revenue to private insurers, 
It'll cost Kentucky way more money in the long run. This will push many people back to ERs as their primary source of care, thereby increasing uncompensated hospital care. It will cause worsened health outcomes when people can't use or put off care because of cost, lockouts, or lack of transport. It will disable Kentuckians when a minor problem turns into a major disability due to lack of care. And ultimately, it will cost lives when people can't access the vital care they need. Thank you. You've been listening to comments made at the Hazard Public Hearing for the Bevan Administration's 1115 waiver proposal to change Kentucky's Medicaid services. The public is encouraged to email comments on the 1115 waiver to kyhealth at ky.gov by 5 p.m. Friday, July 22nd. For more information on the Bevan Administration's 1115 waiver proposal, visit the website of the Cabinet for Health and Family Services, the Kentucky Center for Economic Policy, and Kentucky Voices for Health also have information, analysis, and action steps. This is Mimi Pickering reporting for WMMT's Mountain Talk.